You're listening to Good Mornings, the podcast talking all things grief with honesty and humour. We're back and we're ready and we're excited to be here. Um, Little intro, if you guys are new around here, let us introduce ourselves and tell you why we are here. So we are Sal and Im, we are co-hosts and besties, and we met in early 2020 after the sudden deaths of our mums only months apart. Sal's mum, Rose, died of a sudden seizure, and my mum, Vanessa, died by suicide. Deaths of our mums, they were life-defining moments for us both, weren't they, Im? Yeah. We were so shocked by how little society talks about grief in a relatable way. So we set out to change that through this pod. And it's really led us to learn more about ourselves and it's really put us on a path of personal growth. And we've learned about trauma, anxiety, grief, cycle breaking, resilience, boundaries, spirituality, the whole shebang. And we've discovered who we are at our core. And through this podcast, we really want to share all these learnings with you. Gosh, and we didn't even know that we needed to learn all those things until our mums died, did we? No, and I think that's the thing. Sometimes grief and really difficult times in our life, they can cause us to like peel back the layers and we unearth so many other things that we need to, to look at within ourselves. And that's definitely been the case for us. And I know a lot of our listeners, hasn't it? We've been on quite the journey together and I just think it's mad. Like we met in probably the worst time of our lives, like, and we've just been on this journey of personal growth together, which I think is really beautiful. And I'm forever grateful for your friendship, Sal. So am I, my friend. And (laughs) we, we had that beautiful article in the Sydney Morning Herald, the two of us, which I think came out when the pod was on a break, but it was a really beautiful piece about our friendship wasn't it and I think it's my favorite interview that we've done to date it was so special I loved it so basically Sal and I were put into a room for like 90 minutes we were separated and just like almost interrogated about our friendship it was so like the whole process of doing that interview was so like interesting totally and they really wanted to like dig into like the granular mechanisms of of uh, of our friendship <laughs> and like our dynamic and they really they really pushed us didn't they yeah yeah it was so good but no one else i'd rather be interrogated with it was special no one else i'd rather be grieving with yeah sure so basically top line that's why we're here and we've been doing this podcast for a few years now and we absolutely love it and you guys are just such an incredible community and we're just so excited to be back with season seven i cannot bloody believe seven seasons we've done nearly a hundred episodes which is wild madness so before we get stuck into today's highly requested guest we've had a bit on lately so firstly Let's talk about Vivid. Oh my God, Vivid Sydney was so good. So guys, for those of you that don't know, um, Vivid Sydney is an annual event that takes place in Sydney, strange enough. Um, (laughs) It's a a festival of lights, idea and music. And we were part of the ideas program and we took to the stage in front of, I think it was about 250 people um, to deliver an interactive talk on grief. It's been three years in the... Got accept, we applied and got accepted to be part of Vivid Sydney in 2020. Then it got cancelled because of COVID. 
then it got pushed back again didn't it in yeah and then we couldn't do it last year because it was the same time that we had to submit our book deadline and we were like let's just not like fry our brains even more um so we've been like it's been something that was kind of almost like I wouldn't say hanging over our heads but it was a huge thing that we knew was coming up and it was our first massive public speaking event wasn't it and the day before I felt so ill I just you know when you just go downhill and I was like oh for the love of god please no and I was literally you should have seen my kitchen counter I was like googling I was like right coconut water hydrate hydrolyte all the immunity boosters all the cold and flu meds I like my kitchen counter looked like some sort of crazy pharmacy and then that night it was like 7 p.m and I, I could not keep my eyes open I slept for 12 hours I woke up the next morning and Ant was like, how are you feeling? And I was like, oh, I feel better, but I don't feel great. And then we did the event and it was just, I'm so proud of us. I think we absolutely smashed it. And it was so good, wasn't it, to be on the stage talking about grief. We had a really interactive audience. There were a lot, you could see a lot of tears, a lot of laughter. It was just absolutely incredible. And we got to meet lots of our listeners afterwards, didn't we? It was amazing. And we had Grace join us as well. And she did the most amazing job at hosting the event. And wild to think that she also did a comedy stand-up routine at the start of the talk but she absolutely nailed it and was brilliant and we do have the recording so we're going to work out how to get it to you guys soon so you can watch it as well totally and you know our guest today who we'll get on to in a minute is the queen of comedy and grief isn't she yes. so um but yeah grace it was the first time that grace who is a actor and comedian had actually spoken about grief on the stage and it's the first time that she delivered this kind of this comedy um routine about her experience with grief so she did an amazing job and also we got really glowing feedback from two of our harshest critics didn't we your stepdad Chris <laughs> and my husband Anne are really similar like they do not deliver positive feedback unless it is a hundred percent earned like they won't just like you know fluff you up or like just say, say oh that was great like yeah no, no. like, like it, it, I, it triggers me sometimes because quite often he's like I'll ask him for something then he just gives me the most direct feedback I'm like could you soften it a little bit <laughs> lie just lie <laughs> and like and your your stepdad is just says it how it is doesn't he? he's no there's oh, no yeah. fluff no you know exactly what he's thinking uh, which we love we love the kind of constructive criticism in our lives but shout out to Stella one of our amazing followers who flew all the way from bloody Queensland to see us Yes, Stella and Alex. It was so nice to meet them. And they'd come all the way from the sunny coast. Um, yeah. This was a couple of hours on a, on a flight, isn't it? And um, it was just so nice to meet our community and be able to connect in person. And, yeah, just 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 amazing. It really, I think we felt like our cups were incredibly full afterwards. Brimming. We also... Brimming. Also, I know this is going to end up being an hour-long intro. We've got so much to catch up on. Um, but we've just recently had your birthday too, Sal. Happy birthday. How are you feeling this year, especially in like the lead-up to it? Do you know what? I felt really, really flat a couple of mm. days before. Really flat, really weepy. You know, that old chestnut where you're like, oh, why do I feel this way? Oh, yes, it's because it's my birthday and my mum birthed me. And, of course, I'm going to be thinking about her. Um, but, yeah, the night before, I was just like, I feel so, so flat. And I had a little mm. weep in the bath. Um, don't think I sent you a selfie, actually, maybe because I was naked. Rude. Um, 
<laughs> but you know, it's like that. Like the the guys, the what's your grief guys describe it as. It's like an old injury that aches when it mm. rains, right? And that's what it felt like. It was like, oh yeah, it's still here. The missing is still here, you know. And I feel it's okay to feel flat and just a bit sad and weepy and a bit unmotivated about the fact it's my birthday um so I just let myself feel it which is important right I didn't try and push it aside or try and be cheerful I was just like no I just yeah don't feel great um so there was that and then I just took it really easy on my actual birthday went and did a yoga class um who are you birthdays have definitely changed haven't they oh my god I was laughing about it I'm like (laughs) 10 years ago, my 27th birthday would have been like all day drinking, like, you know, partying. <laughs> and now on my 37th birthday, it was like a gentle yoga class followed by an op shop. Um, and then Ant and I had a dinner, but we had a 5pm sitting. So yeah, definitely nudging towards 40. Um, we actually celebrated on the weekend and had a few margies, didn't we? A few spicy margs with a side of ghost tour. Oh, yeah. And you're so generous, Im. You booked us a beautiful hotel room in Sydney overlooking the Opera House. Like, and we got into the room, and there was a little birthday cake and some, like, fizz. And it was just so lovely. You're so kind. Oh, anything for you, Sal. It was so much fun. It was also really lovely to, like, get away for the night. It is. And we did, yeah, we did a funny ghost tour of um, Sydney's, like, his- the historic part of Sydney, didn't we? And you were so funny. You were, like, really hyping yourself up. You were, like, really, like, freaking yourself out. You were like, oh, my God, what's that in the bush? There was like, something in the bush. Oh, my God, we're like, in this haunted playground, and he's telling us this, like, really scary story, and there's rustling in the fucking bushes behind me. And, like, um, it's a rat him or a bird or something. I'm like, no, mate, it's a ghost. And then you were like, oh my God, what's that? And like, you're looking at some like windows, like it's a light. <laughs> I'd had a few margaritas at this point, um, but I was getting a bit excited. It was so much fun. I was like, mum, is that freaky. you? Yeah. <laughs> it was a bit freaky. So um, before we waffle on, because it's literally going to, we're going to be forever here. Just on the waffle though, just let me, <laughs> let me just have one quick waffle. One more waffle. <laughs> one more waffle. This isn't really a waffle. This is, this is news guys. Um, <laughs> we've been planning something in the background while we've been off air for you all. So a lot of people reach out to us and say they want to meet the South they're in. And our platform has grown massively over the years and we constantly hear from people to say what they really crave is to have a friendship with somebody who understands what they're going through. And we know that this is so healing and so beneficial because here we are and our friendship has been the biggest part of our grief journey. So we really want to continue the work that we're doing remind you that you're not alone and also bring you a whole new way to feel supported in your grief so we're building a new peer-to-peer grief support membership like sal said our friendship has just been so helpful for us in our grief and so we really want to help you guys foster a similar connection with each other and just have that more intimate space where you can all connect and so by becoming a member you'll be able to meet like-minded good mourners who just get grief And the best part is you actually get to come and hang out with us and make new friends. You're going to be having monthly virtual catch-ups. You can have us on tap, which is really exciting. So if you are interested, head to our show notes and join the waitlist to be the first to find out when it's ready. 
Now, enough about us and everything that we've been up to. Let's get on to today's guest because she is so highly requested and I don't actually think she needs an introduction, do you, Im? (laughs) No, but tell us anyway. Well, most of you will probably be familiar with her because she is one of the very first grief podcasters, probably the OG, I'd say. It's Mm -hmm. Carrie Ad Lloyd. In case you don't know her, though, she's the host of Griefcast, which is like I said, the OG Grief um, podcast, and she's author of the very good book, You Are Not Alone. I actually remember um, after mum died, when I was probably like a few weeks in, and I kind of got my head around the fact that she was dead, because I think in the early, the very fresh early weeks, I was just trying to like keep my head above water and try and sort everything out. Mm. And it was like a few weeks in that was like, okay, I'm kind of digesting the fact that I'm grieving, she's dead. I kind of want some tools and resources. And I was looking for conversations around grief and I couldn't really find any, but I did find Griefcast. And I found just like so much comfort listening to her guests. And even though their stories weren't exactly the same as mine, it was like, oh, okay, someone else has been through it. These people have been through it. Like there was just so much comfort. And I definitely think, you know, that was an inspiration for me to to have more conversations about grief. So it was such a treat to be able to talk to her and a real honour and she's just a gorgeous human. She's been on our dream guest list for ages and she's also been highly requested by you guys every time we do a call out. So we're so excited that we made this happen. Let's jump in and you can hear for yourselves. Enjoy guys. You are the OG grief podcaster and (laughs) I remember... So old, I'm so old. (laughs) I I know you call Julia Samuel Saint Julia, but I do think you need to be labelled Saint Cariad of grief. You've done so much for the community and you are the OG, but I remember after my mum died suddenly and same for you, Im, I know it was... I searched high and low for grief podcasts and yours was the main one that I found. And I remember every night for the first couple of months, I would go to sleep and I'd listen to one of your episodes and I would feel less alone, which oh my is, God. The, Thank it's you. The, the title of your book is You Are Not yeah, Alone. That's right. yeah. And it's so mm-hmm. bloody apt, bang on, because that is exactly what your podcast did for me. And I remember listening to your interviews listening to the stories of your guests and being like oh okay yeah someone else has been through this this is okay so thank you because you have really done so much for so many people so it's such a treat to be able to talk to you today because you have made a big impact in both of our lives thank you very much that's um I'm trying to get better at not being like no don't worry about it (laughs) I'm trying to be like Thank you. That's really nice of you. <laughs> take to say, it all in. Take yeah, it. yeah, take it in. Take it in. That's very nice yeah. of you to say. And uh, yeah, I guess yeah. When I started, yeah, there wasn't. I mean, you know, I was funny thing about being in the not the right place at the right time. Almost like obviously because I was full of grief. But yeah, podcasts had just become a thing. And I always say when people are like, well, why did you start it? It's like, well, I was a comedian. I am a comedian less so these days but I was then very active comedian and at that point podcasts were comedians like no one serious Mm. was doing them there wasn't really journalists there was kind of one-offs but it was you know it it was a really niche thing to do and comedians were really jumping on it because it was like oh you can just make it with your friends it's really cheap and you can like show people how funny you are and then you can get more gigs so it's like such an obvious place for comedians to hang out and um I was literally walking down the road and I thought oh, my friends have got these new podcasts. Like, oh, 
what shall I do? And I thought, oh, if I had one, I'd just talk to people about death. <laughs> and I was like, what a terrible idea. It's awful. God, that's Make so funny. bad. <laughs> and then, yeah, then this idea just wouldn't go away. And I kept thinking, oh, I suppose if I spoke to comedians and it would be, um, you know, be like cheery and it wouldn't be so depressing and we could like laugh about it. But yeah, there wasn't, there wasn't anything else at the time. And then, you know, since obviously I've been doing the show for seven years now, like there's now so many different podcasts. There's a podcast for like every single different type of grief, which is amazing. Um, but yeah, strange when it was such a empty field at the time, which in a way meant like I didn't really, you know, there were no rules. It wasn't like, oh, how should we talk about this? It was like, well, I'm, well who cares? I'm the, I'm the only one doing it. And also no one's going to listen anyway. I was thinking, I was like, no one's going to listen. <laughs> so the fact that you were listening in Australia is just like mind blowing to me that it was even there for you, which is, yeah, it's nice that that's what I wanted it to be. But I kind of didn't dare think it would be that useful. Well, I feel like Griefcast is just that perfect balance of like compassionate conversation and humor, which is so important when you're grieving. Like it's just such a beautiful podcast and it's no wonder it's been so successful. And um, we know that you like to open all of your interviews asking your guests who they're remembering. So it feels only fitting for us to ask (laughs) you, who are we here to talk about today? But it's making me like feel like I need to ask. I, I'm then going to have to ask you. Otherwise, I'll feel it's like it's weird being in weird. the other seat, isn't it? Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's like so weird because I, I like, and I can feel I'm like already so like. So tell me what happened. Um. <laughs> I so I guess, yeah. The reason I do the podcast is my dad Peter died of pancreatic cancer when I was 15 in 1998. So my regular joke on the show, Griefcast, is that I joined the club early. I got there. I put some Pringles out. I got the Neville's ready and I just waited and so many people came, more people came in. Um, so yeah, that, and that's why I was sort of happy to start the podcast in that I had been talking about grief privately for a very long time with people who inverted commas got it. And um, I thought, you know, if I can find these other comedians who equally get it, then we can have this chat, like the chats that I'm sure you can relate to. Like I used to have these chats at like parties or social gatherings. I'd find someone accidentally who would say, oh, sorry, I'm not great. Like my mum kind of passed away and I don't want to talk about it. And I'd be like, oh my God, my dad passed away. I don't want to talk about it. Do you want to talk about it? Mm. <laughs> and I'd be like, oh my God, do you feel shit? And then we'd have this like, duh, 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 duh. and other people would come by and try and get us to join in the party. We'd be like, no, we're talking about grief and we'd never get to do this. So we're like, please leave us alone. And I'd leave the party and I think, oh God, that was so good. It was so nice to talk to someone. I'm not alone. Like I'm not the only person feeling this. And I would forget what they'd said or I'd, I'd, you know, miss that feeling. And so that's what I wanted with the podcast was to, yeah, have these moments where you could find this person that equally had gone through something. And particularly, I guess, yeah, for me, finding other people who had lost a parent as a teenager was like game changing for me. And that's it. Because when you do find that person, it's like a mirror, right? You're like, oh my God, I'm not alone. Like when him and I met, we were like, do you feel constantly exhausted? Like, do you feel <laughs> anxious? Like, have you got brain fog? Does your brain feel like it's constantly farting? Like, you know, it's just <laughs> like all these things and you're like, yes, oh my God. And you just, yeah, you feel seen. And it's just so, so important, isn't it? To have these conversations because I think there are so many myths and misconceptions um, about grief. And I know a big one, that you talk about quite quite early on in your book, which <laughs> Im is very passionate about as well, oh, is good. the five good. stages. Mm, 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 mm. We could go on and on, right? Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. 
against yeah obviously. yeah good good just checking because yeah some people are, like start interviews with, like well I like it and you're like oh it's not gonna go well um <laughs> yeah I oh no yeah I mean I so I'm it's so funny after having doing so many interviews where I have to literally explain what the five stages are, I know I have to do that with you but my brain was like so look this is the reason so no parking. <laughs> yeah yeah it's just I could so for me like I'd heard of the five stages and when I started sorry I'm not very good at answering questions quickly as <laughs> you can tell so that's why I normally do the interviewing um I'd heard of the five stages when I was grieving and I always had in the back of my mind like oh I didn't I didn't do that that's not how it worked for me but I thought all along I thought I was weird I didn't really know anyone who'd been through the process that I'd been through and it took me a long time to meet to go out and make a podcast and find my people and be like am I the only person who feels like this and so um when I start doing the grief class you know you start meeting these people in the grief industry you start reading more books about it start doing this this research falls into your lap that like had never done the whole time I'd been grieving so I started like looking into the five stages because listeners kept talking about it or like guests kept talking about it and then when I started researching it and discovering all the truths that I'm sure you guys know I just I was just so angry <laughs> like I was just so angry mm. uh yeah sure uh that stage definitely exists and um I just couldn't believe that it was and like, for me you know you guys I would say to me like <clears throat> as I would call you guys in from my book you know you're the much more further on grievers like digital grievers like I'm from this like the 20th century of grief and I was like how the fuck are we still talk- like how come something that was bothering me in 1998 is still bothering someone like 2022 are you kidding me I'm doing this grief you know night and and a listener came up to me and said oh you know her twin sister had died like 18 months ago and she was like so upset but because she was like I know I'm doing it wrong I haven't done the five stages at this event and I was like oh my god like I have to write a whole chapter that just destroys this (laughs) just like Mm absolutely rinses this to the ground of like this has to this has to stop now like we have to be the generation that go enough 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 whatever and look uh, elizabeth kubler ross is an amazing woman and i know you quote like um his name david david kessler david kessler who's done lots of amazing work and i don't want to like shit on people who've done amazing work but i do want to shit on this like myth that exists away from these people that the grief community keep banging their heads against and, you know, it's all very well for all this other work to exist or all these other authors to have said, oh, by the way, I didn't mean that. Or actually, it's not like that. But that is not what's filtering through to the mainstream. What's filtering through is there are five distinct stages and you need to go through them all and you need to reach acceptance. And every single, I can swear, right? Every time. Oh, go for it. Yeah. Australian podcast. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I thought I'd be fine. Every single yeah. fucking person I've spoken yeah. to, and that's nearly 200 episodes has not gone through this. So mm. I feel so passionately about that. And that's why I wrote a whole chapter about it. That's why I opened the book with it. Because I was like, it's not just me. It's not just people who've done grief research or people who've like grieved for a long time. It's not. It's every single fucking person I'm speaking to. And all the research is saying this. Like every grief psychologist now is like, no, that's not really great. It's not really helpful. But you go out there to the normals and they all think it's true. So mm. I don't know how... I don't know we, you know like we're talking about the publicity we did I'm still having questions oh really is it really uh, you know because you know I've heard that all my life and you're like yeah sure I'm sure you did and in Elizabethan times we used to like 
bait bears and it took a while for everyone to stop doing that but it doesn't mean that there comes a point where we go should we stop watching bears fight isn't it it's a bit gross isn't it let's stop doing that and that's like yeah as you can see I get pretty annoyed about it just like, yeah I just I don't I don't know what we have to do to break its spell its magic hold over everybody I think it is happening because you know now social media you have these incredible things that get shared and you know, the ball in the box theory and mm-hmm. the fried egg theory, all these other theories that are really easy to visually show. And I notice lots of griefs as sharing them. And it, it feels like the information's more available than it was in 1998, definitely. I can imagine it would have been just nothing back then, like just these grief books yeah. and obviously, yeah, but now it's just everywhere. And like you Google it and it still comes up, these body five stages. But yeah. I'm interested to delve back more into your sort of personal experience with grief. You talked about yeah, do you see that you me felt... sidestepping that. You I see saw me that, Carrie, and I'm coming for you. I'm <laughs> coming, coming for you. You're not going to get away I'm with ready, it. I'm ready. I'm ready. Um, and you mentioned the A word, anger. I can mm. really relate. Like anger was probably yes. one of the most prominent emotions I felt for like a whole year. Can you just take I me back to 15 year old Carrie please? <laughs> Yeah, I was so, so angry. And I, when I was reading your brilliant book, I was like, oh yeah, okay, she's in my she's in my house. <laughs> raging. House. The raging. Yeah. Because, you know, like, that's the thing. It's not like with the five, with when you sweep off the five stages, it, it's not that those emotions don't exist. It's that they exist all at the same time, mm. at the same volume, like in a, at, every single day. Um, yeah, I think there's a particular rage that a teenager has when they're grieving. And I'm sure anyone, you know, look, if you've made it through teenage years, you can remember being an angry teenager. You can remember feeling like the world's against you. No one understands you. Mm-hmm. You're the only person going through something. Um, and if you combine that with grief, it's like you have hardcore evidence. No one understands what you're going through. No one else has lost a parent mm. the way you have. Like no one understands your grief, your family are acting differently to you. And your friends can't handle anything you're talking about because they're mm. teenagers and they haven't lost it, had a parent die on them. So you are complete. It feels like you're completely alone. Um, and it's just a real, like I'd say like a really great recipe for fury. Like, it's just so perfect because it gives you, you, I had such a valid reason to be furious. My dad had died. So I was already a pretty, pretty angry teenager. I was already a little bit, you know, bullshit, shall we say. And, um, and then all? I just had, weren't we all? Weren't we all? Yeah. I was definitely, I wasn't like a sweet teenager. Mm-hmm. Um, and then it just gave me this reason. So like, if there's any shit at school, I'd just be like, oh, you know, fuck off, my dad just died. And every teacher would just be like, mm, okay, <laughs> we don't want to deal with that. Let her do what she wants. And mm. it became this great, huge shield I could just back like hold up against the world and be like my dad died what are you gonna do and everyone was like literally nothing we don't want to talk to you this is too scary and I was like see proof I am alone I knew I was so it was just this horrible maelstrom of grief perfection and rage and um one of the reasons I started the podcast was I had been ashamed of this for so long I had I had felt so like I'd done it so bad. I was like, you know, this, my brother wasn't angry. My mom wasn't angry. So I was like, this is really bad. It's really not okay. The worst thing you can do is, is be this rageful. People don't like it. They don't like you screaming at them. And so I felt really like, oh, like this is, I've done it really badly. And, you know, then when I started the podcast and started talking to people and started thinking, actually, fucking fair enough. Like, it just again gave me this passion to want to say to people look if you are raging and you are not you know 
politely weeping with a hanky and people don't and people don't want to help you like that's fine that's okay because that's how I felt and I just think the normals as I've nicknamed them on this episode <laughs> they just want grief to look a certain way and it and it doesn't and I know it's not easy because I've experienced trying to help someone with grief on the other side and it's it's fucking horrible it's awful but you have to accept like grief doesn't look neat and tidy and controlled you know you don't weep in a attractive way <laughs> you know <laughs> you make strange noises and you throw things and you snot all over your face and I feel like the more we can move into that image as as unattractive I suppose as it is and the more we can move away from this neat five stages tidiness mm-hmm. which is what I wanted my book to be entirely about of like it's just a mess and and that's okay. That's okay. Mm. Because we're all in this mess. You're not alone with this mess. But so many of us reach grief or land in the land of grief and are like, wait, when is this is gonna stop? When am I yeah. not gonna be angry? When am I not gonna be crying? When am I gonna be fine? When am I go when am I gonna feel like I did before they died? And I've been trying to say for seven years, like, you won't. <clears throat> you won't. That's not that's not on the table. So let's just let that get off the table and actually look what is there which is building a life with this pain learning to live with this pain and that's really hard but not impossible absolutely and I think sometimes when people look at things like the five stages they almost think they can like complete grief or beat the grief you know and it's you I've heard you say um during an interview before like we wouldn't take mental health advice from the 1960s oh yeah 69 yeah yeah yeah, so so why are we still taking this advice of grief from then yeah um... I feel you know we wouldn't take gender advice we wouldn't take race advice we wouldn't take mental health advice we wouldn't take nutritional advice from 1969 like you you read any of those recipe books you're like oh my god what they were cooking what and serving that when and like but grief because we don't talk about it is frozen in time and it's like someone came up with a theory that sounded really great and sounded like grief ended and everyone was like oh thank god let's just tell everyone that <laughs> it was like that would, be, Here we yeah, come. that would be so if it was true it'd be amazing god I'd love what yes please sign me up if it was true and available <laughs> to me but it's like this thing of like it's not available to you so like you stop dreaming of it it, it isn't mm. there it's a Hollywood ending it's how you write films it's not what mm. life is and you know how many times have you we've grown up in this life of being like romantic comedies aren't real you know there isn't a happy ending long-term relationships are about time and compromise and difficult conversation like we all kind of know we watch a film they get together that's not you know that's not quite how life works but with grief we're like yes that is how it works someone dies you are sad and then I will be fine and you're like why why is this little pocket of society like frozen and everyone is completely deluding themselves but with everything else we're like sure I know that's Hollywood sure I know it's not real but with death I will absolutely be fine if anyone dies right you're like after a year like no what (laughs) no obviously not like why no but it's like that you said at the beginning it's like you're saying something brand new and it's Mm. yeah it's a really persuasive theory you know I get why it's still here and I get why people like it and I get why people don't want to be angry but I guess I'm only saying it as someone who has lived quite 
painfully with this stuff. Mm. I'm not, I'm not preaching from the side of a peaceful grief. I'm preaching, preaching from the side of someone who like raged against it, ran away from it, avoided it, thought I didn't need therapy. Like yes. for like nearly 20 years. Like I did all the I did all the running. So that's why I'm like, guys, I've done it. I promise you, eventually you just have to like face it. Yeah. So on that note, you mentioned in your book that it's not uncommon for teenagers to not readdress their grief until their 30s. Mm. Is that is that what happened to you? Did you push it aside? I know that you started therapy around the time that you started the grief cast. So can you talk us through like how your grief journey sort of looked yeah so at 15 um as I said I was actually about a few months off well I was like anyway 15 and a half so then I fell in this gap in that they couldn't offer me any adult counseling because I wasn't 16 that currently was at that point and so everything I got offered was child counseling and obviously I was 15 so it was insane I couldn't go to children's counseling and I had to go into a room with a doll's house and tiny chairs and like colored pencils and oh, weird and yeah and you know so I immediately was like oh okay this isn't for me counseling's not for me this is awful this is really hideous and mm. I just packed it away and I was like okay I'm done I'm never going to talk to anyone about this and I guess I'll be fine <laughs> I'm sure I'll be fine and um <laughs> and this is a really common journey and I say that not as not as a medical professional as someone after nearly 200 conversations every TGC teenage grief club I've spoken to has had a very similar journey to me in that you don't understand what's happened as a teenager you know the feelings but you don't have the vocabulary for it so you're not it's not like um what I've read like not to 10 you know it's a completely different experience you almost don't know life without the grief you know that's very different but like 10 to 18 you kind of like you do have a clear memory of what it was like before so you are similar to an adult in that there was a life before that disappeared but you you're not finished. You're not finished as a person. You're not finished in the conversation with your parents. You treat them like they're always going to be there. They're the sofa of your life. You know, yeah, fine, great. I don't like make a big deal of it. It's just there. And then when that's taken, you know, your whole stability is lost. Like everything you thought was fine is turned upside down. And there's no, I just used to always feel like I was treading water and I didn't realize, like, you know, you go to put your foot down and you're like, oh, this is deeper. And I thought, oh shit. So, oh God. So I spent a lot of my twenties just denying it, just being like, yeah, it happened to me. I used to literally say, yeah, my dad died, you know, no big deal. Like everyone's sad will die eventually. I just got there early, no big deal. And I believe, I believed it, you know, I really did believe it. And, um, oh, sorry, I had a panic that wasn't recording. Hang on, it is fine. And, um, I, I truly believed it. And then I got through my twenties and obviously like stuff happens that you're like, mm, that's weird. I'm crying for no reason, or I'm screaming at someone and it doesn't feel connected to my what's happening now, but it, it's mm. nothing to do with my dad. That's just, that's by the by, I will not be defined by this. And yeah, every TGC I've spoken to gets to about 30 or just before 30 and is like, huh, <laughs> maybe, maybe this is about my dad. <laughs> And so I didn't seek therapy until, yeah, my early 30s. And it took a long time to go through the NHS as we system we have here and, you know, different different things before I finally got to like therapy therapy. You know, I was sent to CBT and I was sent to like all these different like one day courses. And I just kept coming back and being like, I think this is about a grief that I experienced. And I think I've never spoken about it, but it just takes such a long time when you're a teenager 
to understand what's happened to you. And I think you have to run away from it for quite a long time. That's my experience. I'm sure there's people with with different lived experiences, experiences, but the messages I get from TDCs are like, yeah, I just couldn't deal with it. I just didn't have the words. I didn't understand. And at the time, none of my friends understood. No one around me understood. So I just packed that shit down, carried on with my life, tried to make it make sense and not look at it because what the fuck just happened to me? And then by 30, you can look back and go, the biggest thing for me was I met a 15 year old, like not, didn't like find one. I just was like at somewhere. And <laughs> someone was like, oh, oh this is, this is so-and-so she's 15. And I looked at this girl and I was like, mm. well, she's a child. Mm. How is she a child? Because in my head, I was like, 15 is a grown up. Why is this 15 year old seem really small to me? And really, and the things they're saying seem really naive or they seem really innocent. Mm. And I was like, oh, I wasn't an adult when that happened. I was a child. And that, you know, I needed to be 30 to be able to look at a 15-year-old properly. And then I started thinking, oh, when everyone was speaking to me in a way that I thought was like so patronizing and so awful, and was they were so, they'd look at me like their heart was breaking. I'd be like, fuck off, that's the last thing I want. And I'd be like, yeah, they were, because they were looking at a child and their dad had died. And they knew what I was about to go through. And, and that's what that look was, but I couldn't understand it because I was living it. So I think it's a fairly common journey to take a long time to get there. And I think when you're a teenager too, you need that space to kind of fuck up and make bad decisions and be a bit of a rebel and push back at your parents. And then when you go through something like the death of a parent, it just, you have to grow up really quickly too, I'd imagine. And I've heard a lot uh, from people who have experienced loss at a young age. There's also a lot of guilt around the relationship that they had with that parent, like perhaps that they were a bit of a, you know, tear away teen and a bit rude to their parents and then their parent died prematurely and they didn't get a chance to kind of resolve any of those things. And once they'd matured, they were like, I just wish I could go back and let them know that I was grateful for them or, you know, yeah, that I appreciated yeah. them. Did you experience any of that? Yeah, and it's funny, like a lot of the publicity, there's an idea, I think, and I, I don't know if you guys can relate to this, that if you talk about someone still, then you must have had a great relationship. <laughs> like, mm. like, do you know what I mean? It's like, I was like, well, you must have been daddy's girl, right? Because you're doing this podcast, and you've written a book about him. You're like, if I was fine and we had a great relationship, I would not need to do a podcast about him. And I would not have needed to write a book about like, uh, yes. it, it would be all right, wouldn't it? I would have said what I said, he would have said, and we would have all gone on with our lives. Um, we had a really difficult relationship. It was really complicated. We didn't get on very well. And as I write in the book, um, I since we pretty much discovered that he definitely had ADHD, which was undiagnosed, which would make a lot of his behavior make a lot more sense. <laughs> like when I was growing up, it's like this guy's chaos. And like, yeah, it was just a lot of stuff going on. So we had a very bad relationship, but when you're 15, when you're a teenager, you just think, as I said, you know, he's a sofa. He's not going anywhere. I'm yeah. going somewhere. I'm doing something in my life. Who, oh, this guy, yeah, he's annoying. He's always there. And then when that goes, you feel this terrible guilt, terrible, terrible guilt. I mean, like one of my first um, memoir bits in the book is called Chicken Guilt. And it literally was this, I laugh about it now. It's a memory that he asked me to take my dinner plate out which had like chicken bones on it and I didn't take it because I was like oh my god I'm watching the Simpsons chill like I'll do it in a minute (laughs) and then he basically snapped at me because he was on chemo and it was making him feel sick and I hadn't I didn't realize because I was a teenager I just didn't understand and he hadn't like been specific 
And that for me was like, I carried that for so long as like the worst thing I had done, like unforgivable behavior. And then I think I finally said it in therapy once and she was like, well, it sounds like, you know, you didn't really understand. And I thought, yeah, that's, you know, but the level of like, you know, what's the word? And it's not shit. <laughs> oh, I was thinking it's shit that you carry. Yeah. Yeah. Or like the level of shit I'd given myself about it, you know, like I'd really yeah. been like, that's a tech, like you must never tell anyone that you did that. That was so awful and so selfish and what a terrible person you are. And then, mm. you know, the great thing about therapy, you can like air it with someone who looks at you and goes, that's not that bad. <laughs> that's of all the things that people have done, like that's, that's reasonable. And, you know, when you're a teenager, you have this completely a heightened sense of what's right and wrong and the guilt like you don't understand a lot of stuff that's going on you know I didn't understand and he you know I should say he was diagnosed in February and he was dead by the April so it was like so wow. fast so like wow. nobody had a chance to have conversations he was in denial <laughs> thanks Kubler Ross you were right about that um <laughs> he wouldn't talk about it that he wouldn't say he was dying he wouldn't plan anything he wouldn't have he would not have it discussed he was like I'm not I like even on a cancer ward basically in palliative care he was like no no this is fine wow so yeah so there was like lots of things that made this an extremely traumatic event <laughs> and lots of things that froze me in that moment and yeah I so again I wrote this whole section in the book which I was quite worried about because it was like dear TGCs like I want to talk to you and then I was, me and the publisher were like, oh, is it a bit too, you know, like, will, will it turn off people who are not teenage club members? But I was like, no, no, because every book I read had nothing about teenagers. Yeah. Nothing. I couldn't find a single thing that was like, oh, by the way, if you're a teenager, there's kind of some specific events that may well affect you in the same way that if it happens in your 20s or it happens when you're pregnant or it happens when you've had an argument or, you know, there's all these, the context of your grief is so important. And yeah, being a teenager does mean you you carry guilt for so long because you just don't you don't get a chance to fix it you don't get a chance to say it and there's nothing you know that's not a good or bad thing it's just how it is to be a teenage grieving and how has your relationship with your dad sort of evolved since he died big question I mean that's no, it's interesting, isn't it? Because we can have that conversation because we can accept that it does. <laughs> yes. Like, so yeah. like, oh, great. You appreciate that it evolves rather than like the interviews that we've had where you're like, yes. You've gotten does. over it we, and you've forgotten about him and moved on. Changed, yeah, <laughs> yeah, you moved on. Um, I mean, it's evolved massively, 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 hugely in a way that, again, I would say to Teenage Week Club members, like I didn't think was possible. Um, and I think your grief gets very frozen as a teenager and you can't you kind of freeze at the age that it happens, which is common with anything traumatic. Um, and I totally froze at that age and I did everything possible to not move on from that 15 year old because that's who he knew. So I kind of preserved her in aspect and like kept her and eventually I had a sort of I mean it was you know it's grief isn't it like you have lots of grief breakdowns but um I had one just before I got married and I had another one after I had my first child which is again pretty common in the grief canon um because I was like I'm getting married so I'm definitely not a 15 year old anymore like that's definitely mm. not and it was like the the juxtaposition of the people the person I'm trying to preserve in my head which only you understand because that's a mad sentence and if you haven't been through it you don't what do you mean you're trying to preserve? You're like, I'm just trying to preserve this personality that existed because they knew that. And mm. like, I just don't 
I haven't evolved. I'm trying not to evolve because he didn't know that person mm. and having to go, but you, but you have, you've just naturally done that by getting older and being mature. Like you just have aged, you can't stop that. And so when it hits you in the face of like, well, you've been trying to do something, you've been putting all this energy into it and it's, and it's useless. It hasn't worked. You have aged, they don't know you and you're doing something happy that you want to do that they have no knowledge of it's like yeah like you know all the grief crashes into you at that moment you're like oh I am I am choosing to do things that mean I am living and if I'm living then he's dead you know what I mean like the the craziness that lives in your head and I say that in the book as well like there's so many points when you're like look I'm not saying I know he's dead but he's is he dead <laughs> do you know what I mean like it's a part of your brain that's like no I'm not look, I'm not mad but also like there's this party that's still 25 years and it's like I still find it hard sometimes to kind of, yeah, accept it. Mm. Um, and yeah, after I had my daughter as well, because then obviously I became a parent and it was like, oh, a lot of his behavior made a lot more sense. <laughs> I was like, this is hard and this is tiring and I can see why mm. he was grumpy. Um, and so it evolved unwillingly, I think it would be fair to say. And then eventually it evolved with compassion. Once I was having therapy and I was doing the podcast. And I also always say that you don't have to do a grief podcast every week to deal with it. I wouldn't say that's the only way to deal with it. Although obviously this small community on Zoom would agree. It's the best way to deal with it. Um, and yeah, it, it really changed and opened and softened. And I think also talking to the different griefs of people that we've talked to on Griefcast enabled me to go yeah, what happened to me was traumatic and there's people who've had better griefs than me and there's people who've had worse. And actually it's just a large spectrum of grief and it doesn't really matter where you are, mm -hmm. it's your grief. So you just have to deal with that rather than like, oh, my pain, like I was 15, this is the worst. And you're like, it isn't the worst actually, it isn't, but it doesn't mean it's not painful. It doesn't mean it's not hard. Both of those things are true. And it's, you say like, it's hard to get your head around sometimes, isn't it? Even though you know that they're dead and death is a thing. <laughs> like, And it's definitely happened. It's definitely happened. But then there's, it's just sometimes you, you're just like, oh, what? <laughs> like, just, yeah, yeah it's, it's, a, it's a weird old one. But do you think that doing the grief cast and talking to so many people about death, has it given you like any new perspectives on grief and death, do you think? I mean, it definitely helped solidify the sense I already had, which was that you you don't get over it. Like I kind mm. of knew I wasn't, but I, you know, again, at the beginning, I was like, well, that's just me. And then the more I spoke to people and also really interesting for me as someone who's been in the grief club so long to speak to people further along than me, which doesn't always happen because obviously to lose a parent that young is, is unusual. Um, and they were saying the same thing. And I was like, oh, okay like yeah this is this is how it is this is what grief is is you you learn to live with it and some days are okay and some days are less okay and the gap between the okay days and the not okay like the gap between the not okay days gets much longer mm -hmm. so I joke in the book like my my years these days are like 17.6 percent griefy like <laughs> compared to like 95% back at the beginning you know or like 99.99% like year one um, so I think that was a really helpful thing, having all these conversations to kind of go, okay, 
hey, we all feel like this. We're all carrying it. There's no one who's fine. There's no, like, again, I, I was searching for somebody who was like, yeah, yeah, I've accepted it and it's fine. And I would say of nearly 200 episodes, one person said to me, I'm fine. I'm actually, who was that? Like, I feel like, I won't say just because oh, yeah, fair I enough. think it's, yeah, we didn't heat, they didn't say it on the show. And, oh, okay. And also okay. I like, okay. I wasn't entirely sure that I believed them. But they, at that point, you know, you have to believe someone when they say at that point, they were like, yeah, I feel fine. It doesn't bother me. Anniversaries don't bother me. Like I'm over it. They said I'm over it. And I was like, okay, great. That's great. But honestly, that was one person in a set in nearly 200. And then plus all the listeners and the tweets and like, you know, same as you, all the community that you speak to. Um, oh, what's their then, secret? Tell us. <laughs> well, yeah, yeah. Well, I, I, but again, that's why I was like, okay, what? Mm. Is your secret denial? Is your secret that yeah. you don't think about it? It's just, and yeah. And to be fair, they had been in the club like a lot, a long time. So you know, maybe the thing. This is the this is the sneaky thing with grief. Okay, like if you'd asked me a year ago, I'd been like, you know what, I'm in a pretty good place. Everything's, and I would have been like, yeah, perhaps I'm there. Perhaps I'm there. And I wrote a book, and I had my dad's 25th anniversary about two weeks ago, and I was not okay, and I was not okay, and it really was really annoying <laughs> because I had been okay mm. for so long. And honest to God, most of the most of the not okayness was me being pissed off at not being okay. Like actually, the grief wasn't that bad. It was me being like, "Are you fucking kidding me?" Like, uh, no, <laughs> like I've done the book, and it's come out. Now I need to be okay. And so, I think they're you know. Just have to have compassion for yourself like it comes and it goes and that it goes a lot more often and the joy of being a long time club member is that you know you get through it you've been through worse you know it kind of hangs around then it goes and for no good reason suddenly you wake up and you're like oh I actually feel fine today like mm-hmm. you just gotta ride it out and you you have all that like lived experience which makes it I don't know 10 percent easier but still it's still hard And then the other thing I would say that was very hard to learn, but was good, was talking to people whose griefs terrified me, like absolutely Mm. making myself the person that I used to mock, you know, oh, they can't talk about it. They don't understand it. And then sitting in that chair and being like, this person's grief is really, Mm. really fucking terrifying. Like what happened to them is so awful and so tragic and so unfair, so unfair. And here they are wanting to share their story, which is all you've ever wanted to do when people speak to you. And when you feel like people are running away from you and you want to say, you coward, you fucking coward, you can't just hear my story. And now you're sitting in a chair and you're going, oh my God, I want to run away. Like, this is so scary. And to remind myself that it is hard wherever you sit. It is hard in the club and it's hard out of the club. Like no one's winning, you know, no one is winning by not having grief because no one doesn't no one doesn't have grief like it's either it's not hit them yet or you know that will hit them like it's not like we we didn't get the lottery and all these other people did so talking to people about child loss and baby loss and really 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 difficult circumstances and making myself learn and listen and appreciate that this is just this is hard for lots of people in lots of different ways and and actually the only thing you can do is listen and that is possible it is possible as terrifying as it is I found that made me more empathetic to my own grief and and everybody's grief so true I remember our first 
baby loss interview and Sal and I just wanted the ground to open up and swallow us whole. Mm. Like it was so difficult to sit there Mm. and listen and witness their story and all of the things that we've been preaching on Instagram, like all went out the fucking oh window. God. So we're yeah. like, you know, just hold the space. I'm like, I want to <laughs> run out the fuck of this yeah. room right now. It's so hard. Like even now, you know, years into doing what we're doing, a couple of years, it's still really difficult with those mm. terrifying losses. And I mean, they say there's no hierarchy in grief, but sometimes I feel like there fucking is, you know. I think there is, and Julia Samuel said it, St. Julia to me, she was like, there's no hierarchy in grief apart from child loss and baby loss because it's against the natural order. And as soon as I heard that, I was like, yeah, that makes sense to me. And the rest of us, it's all about, look, how you feel is how you feel. But there is this other room that is Mm. not really not okay. And yeah, I'd recommend the episode I, um, when I spoke to Jason Green, who lost his uh, daughter Greta and wrote a book about it, Once More We Saw Stars, and I say in the episode and I say in the in my book where I talk about interviewing him, like I did everything possible to get out of that interview. Everything. Yeah. I tried to change dates. I lied about, so I can't do that. There's no way. And things kept falling that they were like, don't worry about it. Neither can he. So he can do this. And I thought to myself, oh, fuck, Karad, the universe is telling you, you have to do this. Somebody is, you know, I'm half woo-woo, half cynic, but I was like, the woo-woo in me was like, somebody wants you to do this. You have to do this. And I went to this interview like shaking because what he had been through, if you know Jason's story, like his, it was just, you know, his daughter had died so unbelievably tragically and he'd mm. written this book about it and he he talks about it in the most you know, poignant and heartfelt way. And there's no reason he should because you don't have to be when something that awful happens to you. You didn't have to be poignant and eloquent about it. Like, fuck it, you, you know, you, you should be able to rage against the world. And he was holding it and sharing his story because he felt so passionate like he needed to. And it was, it that interview changed me definitely and made me just think, yeah, as I said, like, it's very easy sometimes for the grief community to be like, as I have been this whole interview, oh, the normals, you don't get it. You're, you're this. And be like, actually, it's, it's just hard to talk about. And if you find Mm. it hard to talk about, it's what you do with that that matters. Like, you know, yeah, absolutely. You might want to run away. That's okay. It's the not running away that that matters. (laughs) Like that's the key. You're allowed to feel those things. You don't need to feel bad for like thinking, I wish my friend would stop talking about her dead parent. Like I absolutely, it's fucking terrifying me. My parents are alive, but well, I want her to stop mentioning it. I don't want to hear her grief. Like you have all those feelings by Mm -hmm. all means and Mm -hmm. then breathe and go, death isn't catching. Them talking about it is not catching. I'm okay and I can hold the space. But like, that's a lesson I had to learn. And I did not learn that because my father died. I learned that because I went and spoke to people people think that it's contagious right like and I think especially with child loss they just do not want to know that they cross the street when they see you it's like that'll never happen to me and I'm just going to avoid that um still so much work to do Mm. I want to explore half woo woo carriage (laughs) tell me (laughs) like do you find comfort from like connecting with your dad on the other side or asking for signs or like what's what's the half woo woo carriage tell me yeah, it's difficult. I I don't. I don't. And I don't know if that... It's hard to pinpoint. I, I have no problem with people who do. 
definitely. And I'm not saying, my God, I've definitely called out loud a few times, like, come on, dad, are you kidding me? Like, I need this, somebody, if you're out there, do something about this. Yeah. Um, but when I was a teenager and and was going through the initial, you know, what I would describe fresh grief, like the first five years of absolute insanity, I was so terrified that he was going to show a sign. Like I was so so fucking terror because I just thought what I will shit myself (laughs) like if he shows himself or something happens I used to literally scream if you're there don't say anything like don't like I do not want (laughs) I was just I was just so I'm like a very easy scared person I hate horror films I hate the like because it's like if he shows up once like am I gonna think he's gonna show up again like all like it was just like too many questions like this is too terrifying so I, I would say like do not do not like I don't okay I just can't handle it and um you know I say in the book as well like my mom and my brother had like these really beautiful dreams about him where he like visited them and he was like bathed in light and they would like say to me oh it was so wonderful and I had a dream that his dead body was on the porch and I kept saying to people when are we going to move him and everyone's like just relax we'll do it eventually <laughs> like that was my death dream oh well um yeah and I was like great this is really great um so I deal with things very practically and I do I feel very I feel very connected to him I have had those moments definitely and there's definitely been weird moments we like oh that's weird but then uh, yeah so this is weird so on the podcast <laughs> to give you a tiny um people used to say about all these signs and I was like I've never had a fucking sign never had anything like even though I've been saying please don't do it and um people would say oh you know and the song came on the song came on and I'd be like I've never had anything like that. It's so annoying like at least he could do would be a song I feel like that would be like because he was a DJ and he was into music when he was very into music and then I started talking about this um this weird band that he liked uh, called quintessence right really like 70s they weren't big my dad was so into music he would like go and see bands that like had what's the word like a demo you know and we would have demos around the house so they didn't exist as bands and I was like this oh quintessence I've never found anything and I've got one tape that he gave me that I have like rewound this is how old I am I have a tape and I've rewound <laughs> it so much the tape like went fuzzy you know like it started stretching and I'm and then someone wrote to me and was like, oh, you know, there are a couple of there are a couple of their albums and you can. And I was like, oh, OK, that's because I said it out loud. And then I was walking along this the canal in King's Cross with my husband. Maybe. Yeah, actually, maybe we had my daughter by then. And there's a canal boat that sells like books and records. And I had been thinking about him. I kept saying it on the show. Like I suddenly was I guess I was suddenly asking for a sign. And I just he was my husband was looking at records and I was like, oh, I can't be bothered to flick through. And then I was like you know maybe I'll, and then yeah my husband just held up and was like quintessence isn't this and I was like fucking hell like I've never seen a vinyl nobody had ever heard of it from this one listener and I'd been talking about it on the show and I was like huh okay got the message that's enough I don't need any more <laughs> <laughs> okay thank you I was just so terrified about it so I bought the album and listened to it and it was really nice um but yeah I don't know I I have family members that are into like mediums and stuff. And I, I actually find it really offensive and really dangerous. It's my personal experience of it. I know I've actually spoken to other very good friends on the show who've got so much comfort from it and really love it. But for me, I've never had experience that hasn't been tainted with information. So like, oh, the medium has said this 
she spoke to him, but he also said this, which is something, it would mm. be something to worry about or something that's like, and it's like, you know what? If that was my dad, that would be such a shitty thing to do to pass on a message to another person who I don't know that something worrying. And so I, uh, yeah, I just find, I don't like that side of it. And I really worry about grieving people being extremely vulnerable and are so desperate. We all know how fucking desperate we are to have a sign to hear some, to somebody remember them. So um, I seek my connection through trying to track down people that sort of knew him and get other photos and things that you memories that you didn't know and stuff like that and that for me becomes the gold dust that is mm. like oh my god so and so just got in touch with me and they said this thing and oh I didn't know that that you know that's another little jigsaw piece for me um but yeah I I really struggle with that side mm. of it it's so important that we're having this conversation. I think Sal and I, we're big into signs. We're big into mediums, but, and a lot of our community members are, but we do have quite a few community members that have reached out and they've gone, I haven't got a sign. I feel really shit. I see, you know, you, I hear you guys all the time getting your signs and I'm wondering why I'm not. So I'm, I'm really glad that I've asked you this question and that we've got your, you know, take on, on this as well, because it is important that it's okay to not be getting them. It's okay to not kind of believe in the afterlife and all of those things, but, and we can find comfort and connection in, in other ways like you do with your dad. I think it's important to talk about. Yeah. And I, you know, I said, I, I have a friend, a dear friend who went through so much grief and for her, it's been, re- she said, look, it's really helped me. And I was like, that's great. I know yeah. for me, it's not helpful. And I think that's important with this stuff is like, where are your boundaries? And if it's in yes. any way frightening you or making you feel really uncomfortable, it's not for you. And that's okay. There's like other things you can do. And I think for me, like my dad was extremely spiritual, but like, he's just not a science guy. <laughs> it's just, it would be odd, you know, like I feel like anything from him, me and my mom are like, that just would be, that's not how he rolled. And so that I think is important. It's like your person. Whereas I can mm-hmm. imagine mm-hmm. with other people I know in my life, I can imagine them trying to give me a sign. But with him, that relationship, I was like, that isn't what how we spoke. And he didn't give me a, oh, I'll come back and oh, I will give you this. You know, he didn't. So it would seem, yeah, it felt wrong for me, but I'm definitely, you know, I'm not anti it, but I am anti the people who prey on those people and tell them information that is scary mm-hmm. and dangerous. Or oh, you've got to be careful. I've got a message from them. Your health is this, you know, someone's, or oh, they're worried about someone. This stuff is fucking terrifying. Yeah, and you were so fact. vulnerable. So I do feel like, you know, by all means go to people and, but yeah, go to good, go to the good ones, you know, like people with good hearts who aren't going to take your money and say what you want to hear so desperately. This has been so enlightening and such a treat <laughs> to talk to you um the og grief podcast <laughs> and... there'll be someone out there who started before me who's absolutely livid that i'm always like, like there's nothing around <laughs> like i was i'm sorry i didn't know i'm sorry i'm so sorry <laughs> for now you have the crown you have the title um your book you are not alone is absolutely brilliant thank you for writing it it's thank yeah, you for writing it's... yours look it's all blurred hang on look <laughs> it's My a book off. <laughs> um and yeah where can where can our listeners find you listen to you read your book tell us where they can get hold of you yeah so the book is called you are not alone it's out all over the place it's definitely out in australia it's definitely out in uh england and uh there's a german version and there you can listen to the audiobook in all the usual places 
Griefcast is up on all your normal podcast places. I will say it's currently on hiatus. I'm not doing it at the moment because it's just been too much. So, um, but for any complaints, there are nearly 200 episodes. <laughs> There's plenty to be getting on with. Um, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm keeping it up. I'm not doing anything. I'm just, it's not currently releasing episodes, but it's on there and it's, um, you can find me at Carrie Ed Lloyd on Instagram or at Lady Carrie Ed on Twitter. Amazing. Thank Thanks, you. We'll carry all of that in the show notes and yeah, just thank you so much for everything that you do. Thank you guys. My God. Thank you. Thank you for joining the grief um, world of talking about it quite a lot. <laughs> <laughs> As always, a huge thanks for tuning in, guys. We really hope that you enjoyed listening to this episode. And before we go, we have a little favor to ask. We'd love it if you could leave us a rating or a review wherever you listen to your podcast, as it really helps other grievers find us too. Until next time. Bye.